0: Are the people of Syria affected by last month's earthquake experiencing more devastation because of long-term sanctions? Are the lives of Americans suffering from poverty and homelessness affected by the sale of expensive weapons to Ukraine? Is the war in Ukraine going to prepare people everywhere for a terminal nuclear exchange? Are people like Canadian Ambassador Bob Ray uh, correct in his conclusion that today's protesters against policies in Syria and Ukraine are useful idiots? Today on the Global Research News Hour, we are focused on major actions in Canada, the United States and around the world attempting to veer us away from war strategies that continue to kill people our governments say they are trying to help. Our first half hour, three representatives of a group seeking the end of sanctions in Syria come on the show to talk about the origins of their group and about how dropping the sanctions is necessary to save lives in the country. Then in our second half hour, we will hear from a couple of activists speaking in Washington DC on February 19th about the need to stop America's proxy war in Russia via Ukraine. On this week's program, 20 years after the start of the war in Iraq, people around the world are still raging against the war machine. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of March 3rd, 2023 program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. I'm your host Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are features on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We acknowledge that this broadcast was produced on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Ininuan, Ojibwe, Dine, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The settler population received tremendous advantages through treaties and agreements that were not honored by their side, and consequently we resolved to reverse damages moving forward to achieve true balance and reconciliation with our Indigenous brothers and sisters. Next, we will have our news notes, a series of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. Obama and Merkel neglected to mention that Libya, as noted earlier, enjoyed the best living conditions in Africa. With the highest life expectancy on the continent, shortly after the attack on Libya, when the West proposed to the UN Security Council a no-fly zone over Libya, their politicians failed to provide evidence that Gaddafi was using military aircraft against protesters. Proof could not be found, and so nothing justified the establishment of a no-fly zone or a NATO intervention. It was a pretext to allow the West to assail Libya from the air and to replace Gaddafi. On the 30th of June 2011, Gaddafi's son Saif al Azlam Gaddafi said in an interview that one of Libya's major errors had been to delay the purchase of weaponry from Russia. That comes from the article NATO's Destruction of Libya by Shane Quinn, posted March 1st, originally published on Geopolitica, RU. The answer is simple. Criminal, unilateral, coercive measures levied against Syria and Syrians allow aid to terrorist-occupied areas on the one hand and deny aid to all areas governed by the democratically elected, overwhelmingly popular, secular, pluralist government of Syria led by President Bashar al-Assad. The aid to al-Qaeda terrorist-occupied areas such as Idlib is hoarded and controlled by terrorist warlords as it trickles down to the people. In fact, the legitimate Syrian government recently attempted to ship aid into Idlib, but al-Julani, former al-Qaeda boss, now rebranded HTS boss, refused a convoy of aid coming from Damascus, saying that, quote, he wouldn't legitimize the internationally recognized Syrian government and he wouldn't accept the aid, unquote. It comes from the article, Canadian foreign policy is utterly barbaric, by Mark Taliano, posted March 1st, originally published on his own website. It was a choice made by a government that would not countenance public debate about the basis for its continued pandemic measures. And by January 2022, by expanding pandemic measures, Canada was now an outlier. Where dialogue was the solution to address 11 weeks of national protest in early 2020, Trudeau closed the door to any possibility of discussion with protesters in January 2022 before they arrived. Documents entered as evidence before the POEC suggests the Liberals were restless to invoke the Emergencies Act many days prior to February 14, 2022. When asked under oath at the inquiry, quote, when did the Emergencies Act come into play as a possibility, unquote, Trudeau replied, quote, from the very beginning, unquote. That comes from the article, Commission reveals that Trudeau government lied about nature of truckers' protests in Ottawa last February to justify invocation of emergencies act by Ray McGinnis, posted March 1, originally published on Covert Action magazine. These developments portend much for the ability of the federal government and courts to address the fundamental issues of national oppression and economic exploitation against African Americans. The more than one century of black land loss has its counterpart in urban and suburban areas as well. During the Great Recession beginning in 2005 and beyond, African Americans lost more than half of their household wealth through subprime mortgage, lending which impacted the entire country. Under capitalism, the problems of farm and household losses have not been effectively addressed. The reparations needed to compensate for these aspects of national oppression can only be resolved under a socialist system where land can be nationalized in the interests of workers and farmers. That comes from the article, Land Loss and the Renewed Struggle of African American Farmers by Abeyomi Azikiwe, posted March 1st. <laughs> These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. I have with me today several individuals who will be hosting and in attendance at a talk in Toronto, a Saturday, March 3rd. 4th at noon in front of the U.S. Consulate at 360 University Avenue. Uh, first we have Mr. Mohamed Boudianain, uh, he's a member of the Board of Trustees of the Canadian Arab Federation and he's Moroccan Canadian. Uh, Dr. Atif Kobrusi is the past acting Executive Secretary of the United Nations Economic and Social Commission and professor at McMaster University. He is Lebanese-Canadian. And Lola Al Alkasawat is an architect and an organizer of the demonstration in Toronto. She is Syrian-Canadian. Uh, you mentioned in your media release that your group in Toronto is just one of, of several in North America, Europe, and the Arab world uh, calling for an end to sanctions against Syria when exactly did all these groups get officially established?
1: So as you know, um, the conflict in Syria has started since uh, 2011, and it's been more than 12 years now since the war on on Syria. And um, I believe that we were always advocating to to remove the sanctions and siege off of Syria. However, after the, the, the devastating earthquake, I think People have uh, very deep concerns about the the, the ongoing issues and the, the poverty and the inhumane uh, living standards that are happening in Syria. And lifting the sanctions is now a, a big hu- humanitarian concern for all the world and as it should be. So uh, all these groups from different countries uh, have come together. Um, uh, in the past uh, couple of months and uh, have uh, launched a campaign called End the Siege. And starting March the 4th, uh, we, will, we will be doing a series of events to, to try and focus on this um, uh, uh, removal of the siege. The, the countries in, uh, that are participating all around the world, Jordan, um, uh, Ireland, um, Palestine, in uh, Germany Berlin uh, Oman um, Beirut uh Algeria Morocco uh, we have in uh, the. US we have Los Angeles is going out as well to to demonstrate on Saturday Egypt um, Slovakia uh, Yemen um I mean it's pretty big so hopefully uh we we will have our voices heard mm. Uh.
0: I'll ask about some of the other groups and how they got on board. Uh, first of all, uh, we'll start with you, uh, Mohammed. Uh, you know how how did the Moroccan uh, uh, people, uh, you know, find uh, an approach to this uh, whole uh, situation with Syria?
2: Well, this is not really uh, identity or nationality-based, quite frankly. I'm here around the table representing the Canadian Arab Federation, which is an umbrella organization that represents uh, Canadian uh, groups and communities across Canada. So this is not just the Moroccan or the Syrian or the Lebanese. This is a fundamental human right issue. And we all know that uh, those uh, uh, strategies or policy uh, against a particular country, don't affect usually the leaders or the governing body, but civilian. It's always innocent who pay the price for this type of policies and restriction. And I think what is more alarming now, it's in in, in light with this incredible humanitarian disaster, this earthquake. You have still government from the West promoting this type of. Uh, uh, policy and this type of behavior that in our view contravene the basic fundamental human right and even international law. Aid is aid. We're not talking about armed trades. We're not talking about transfer of technology. We're talking about basic fundamental support for medical f- to help people to, to, to clear those roads, to provide clean water and so on and so forth. So I don't think this is uh, a concern of particular community or Arab groups, but this is, should be a fundamental concern for all Canadians that are uh, indeed promoting human rights, dignity, and the, the, the rule of law at the international level.
0: Okay, uh, Atif, I, I imagine you would respond pretty much the same way that uh, Mohammed did. I mean, maybe, maybe you could speak to that issue and and how that yeah. you know, mobilized your support for for you know, reducing and eliminating
3: sanctions. Yeah. Look, I mean, the devastating earthquake did not uh, distinguish between a Syrian who is uh, loyal to the uh, government or who is in opposition. I mean, the devastation touched all. And as my friend and colleague, uh, Hamad is mentioning, uh, this is a humanitarian. We don't want to politicize this. But you see, Syria is called upon to help with its hands tied behind its back. Uh, the United Nations estimated that the cost is about 3 to $4 billion. Thousands of buildings have collapsed and homes have been destroyed. And 5,000 people dead and scores, I mean, nobody knows until now what is the extent of this damage. So the story here is to what extent many countries. I know uh, airplanes and banks They're all reticent to come to help and to carry things. Uh, Most of the aid is going to Jordan, thousands of kilometers from the area, to Lebanon, uh, to different areas, uh, because people don't want to run afoul of the sanctions. These sanctions, the Caesar sanctions, uh, are very exacting and very uh, a collective punishment so to speak, and has hampered the, the humanitarian effort and the willingness and the capacity and the ability of those who would like to help uh, to come to the aid. The Arab countries uh, feel special affinity to Syria and that's not surprising. The reason for this is Syria has always been there for every Arab, and has always assumed a major share of support of the Palestinians, of the Lebanese when they're in trouble, of Jordanians, of Arabs everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's the common bond that brings these people together. Mm -hmm. I, as a Lebanese, don't find myself totally far away from feeling that these are Our brothers and sisters, they're part of us, and we cannot sit and watch. And especially that we saw that the world has been reticent or has really been uh, not as forthcoming as they should. And not whether they are doing this because they can't or because they're unwilling. But the story is at the same time, we need more help, far more is needed than what has been delivered so far and the issues have not ended and it couldn't have happened uh, at the worst time the weather is at its coolest ever in the region you know some of the temperatures are uh, touching record lows that were not experienced before and this is on the heel of 11 12 years of destruction of a civil war that was financed and orchestrated by so many governments around the world. They dumped all the jihadists and terrorists from every place to fight the Syrian regime, but at the same time, exacted the heaviest toll on the Syrian people.
0: Hmm. Well, I know that uh, there's uh, a lot of efforts. uh, I mean, the Canadian government, uh, uh, Global Affairs Canada, has said that uh, Canadian sanctions regulations include exceptions for the purpose of safeguarding human life, disaster relief, democratization, stabilization, or providing food, medicine, or medical supplies, or equipment for international commun- organizations with diplomatic status. Um, but uh, you, the earthquake, they say, should not be blocking aid to earthquake relief, but but you're saying that uh, none of that relief or, or little of that relief is getting through, right?
3: No, and and the reason for this, uh, Michael, is that the aid is there and some people want to do things, but uh, the worry here is that airlines are not flying into Damascus or into Aleppo or into Latakia. They're afraid of uh, delivering. Banks are not extending as is the money uh, because they feel that this might really... uh, constitute a an infraction imposed by the americans or the canadians i mean the canadians could talk as much as they want that the sanctions have really been suspended for certain number of days or certain things but it's hard telling to all these people who want to help uh, to know the intricacies and the uh, how uh, widespread, how uh, large and wide the scope is this, they are really worried and they don't want to uh, be in a position that they would have to pay very heavy fines and may lose their businesses as well. So the story about exemptions is very troubling in the sense that uh, many of the agencies who would like to help, and the uh, airlines and banks and uh, uh, different charities are finding it extremely difficult to navigate all this complex web of incredibly taxing uh, sanctions.
4: Yeah.
1: Well, what, what about and the... stuff to, uh, to that... Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, Michael, but just to add to that, and even on an individual level... Uh, as, as like for myself, I went to Western Union to transfer to my families and to my friends uh, some money, which is like what I can uh, afford, like uh, not that significant uh, amount of money, but it, anything would help. Uh, Western Union does not accept uh, transfers to Syria, mm-hmm. still in Canada. So, what kind of uh, removal of sanctions has there been? If, if we can't uh, uh, transfer funds through the the easiest way, which is Western Union, we can't use that on an individual mm-hmm. level and
2: also, yeah, the so-called the so-called sorry, sorry, go go ahead. so-called Caesar sanctions this policy imposed by the american is now uh, aligned by canadian by the western world and, and these sanctions as long as they are in place will not permit for example as dr cobbs said earlier cargo plant to lay in syria uh, they're not uh, be able to uh, support humanitarian organization, or including transfer banking system to send to send money to Syria. So, in our view, this is a collective punishment mm-hmm. on people who are already in in one of the most dire situation in their life. This is has nothing to do with international politics, has nothing to do with so called regime in Syria or so on and so forth. We, you ca- you cannot politicize. Aid, mm-hmm. In the face of this incredible disaster, yeah,
1: and there is not enough six months. Michael is not enough. Uh, this is this is going to take years to 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 resolve. Number one and number two, um, what about fuel? What about um, equipment that's needed? What about medicine? Like, if there's no fuel in the country, th- th- there's no way that they can run cars and 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 uh, warm themselves. So how do we solve that? Like, if you don't remove the sanctions, nothing will be solved.
3: I'll I'll give you one concrete example. Uh, Jordan has now excess electricity. would have liked to supply some of the electricity need of Syria and some of Lebanon. The United States and Israel have asked and uh, restricted the ability of the Jordans to do it. There is now, I would like to send money I sent it through Western Union or West Bank. And, uh, you know, and, and this, as Lola was saying, uh, Lula was saying, uh, it, it's not as easy as one thing. Even if they do that, it will go and will be exchanged at the official exchange rate in Syrian pound. And this is really a fraction what the market rate is. So yeah. to a great extent, there are so many hurdles so many obstacles Uh, and then look one of the major issues that we have in syria is the americans are an occupying force now in northwest syria and have uh, commandeered and i would use the word stole the oil that could have been used or the gas that could have really you know used to heat or uh, it, it produce electricity. And worse than it they burn the fields. These American lackeys over there have burned the, the wheat fields, so there is shortages of bread. What about I mean, the, 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 sorry, but, but I mean, there's also the opposition forces play a role
0: too, don't they? I mean, there was an article written in Syria news uh, stating that aid was shipped from the Syrian government to Idlib, Idlib is controlled by the opposition. Uh, Al-Juliani, uh, former Al-Qaeda boss, now rebranded as the HTS boss, uh, is, is, he refused the convoy of aid. You're, you're coming from Damascus saying that uh, oh. he wouldn't legitimize the international recognized Syrian government and, and he wouldn't accept the aid. I mean, this is another difficult reality, is it not?
2: Again, this is the situation, Michael. It's so complicated. But it's also this taking advantage of this misery and politicizing more. I mean, how can you accept, for example, recently, the Israeli attacking Syria in the midst of this catastrophe? There is attack by Israel on the territory of the Syrian government. So it's, it's just like adding the insult to the injuries and no one at the international level or the UN who are standing to protect those civilians who are suffering? I
1: Was trying to say that um, the the oppositionists refused help from the Syrian government because they don't want to deal with yeah. with the, the, the with the official government. And the I, same I just... opposition are sorry, but and the same oppositionists are are demanding that the siege not be lifted off of Syria, which is something very inhumane and criminal in my in my opinion. Because how could you? Um, how could you want more uh, pain on on people that are innocent and c- civilians? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just with, going to. Uh, with-
0: I just want to get a, another example. I, I was, was wondering how how you find the mainstream media responding to the calls for sanctions, especially from Syrians.
1: We don't. We have no. We have no uh, media uh, supporting us or li- willing to listen to us. Um, the no one will will listen to to our side I mean they're always looking for the oppositionist side and 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 um focusing on that side whereas many Canadians here in in Toronto Ottawa like all over Canada uh, have concerns about these sanctions and nobody will accept our voice or hear our voice which is very troublesome in a, in a country that um, um, assumes that it's democratic so I I don't understand how yeah. Like, a whole side yeah. is being ignored.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you can see, in the first hours, the coverage of the earthquake itself uh, yeah. in the Western media, especially the American media, including the Canadian media or the European media, didn't talk too much about Syria, didn't show any image about Syria until later in the weeks. And, and obviously, under the disguise that, oh, it was difficult to get access, and so on and so forth. But again, this is a propaganda strategy that support policy that, in our view, is not human. A policy that doesn't respect the fundamental human right and the international law, and that's the reality. And unfortunately, as you said, some of the Canadian mainstream media
3: are complicit of this. Yeah, I mean, there is a, there is a joke running, a, a kind of uh, uh, realistic joke. They're saying, people are saying, well, how can we really deliver aid to the affected areas which are controlled by the rebels? And somebody said, well, you were able to deliver tanks and guns and lots of ammunition. Now you are unable to deliver aid? <laughs> delivered the same way you delivered these guns and these tanks so and and that's not a joke really it's a reality on the ground yeah. and what's really also uh, quite uh, troubling in in the, in the circumstances is that the kenyan government dished 10 million dollars first to both syria and turkey and another 10 million these are really uh, embarrassing and an insult it's okay. adding insults to okay. the this is an amount that is far below what's needed and far what is representative of Canadian generosity. The Canadians have always been willing to help. When the Haiti was hit by an earthquake, the amount of help and the speed with which the Canadian government, Canadian people have extended help to the Haitians is, is exemplary. Where mm-hmm. are the Canadian values and Concerns and the humanity. In the name of humanity, people are saying, "Please lift the sanctions. Allow us to help the Syrian people. They need us in that moment of need, and the needs are dire and massive."
0: Okay. Well, just to to wind up, uh, I I just wanted to uh, just uh, get a, a sense. It's uh, this event is happening in Toronto on Saturday, March fourth, in front of the uh, the uh, the uh, the, uh, the U.S. consulate. Uh, could you just tell me a little bit more about uh whether some of the other places in Canada and around the world that are hosting End the Siege.
1: Yeah, so uh Michael, uh we're ha- we're have it's happening on Saturday all over the world in Canada. It's happening in um in Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa. And um as I mentioned, we are working on a series of events. So it will be uh, in more cities hopefully uh, as we uh start organizing more. Uh, around the world. It's in um, Berlin, um, Sweden, uh, Ireland, Dublin. Um, uh, what did I say? Tu- uh, Tunisia, Morocco, uh, Jordan, uh, Egypt, uh, Los Angeles, West. Um, where did, uh, who else? Uh, Slovakia. Like it, it, there's like 40 states, that uh, cities that are that are participating. Okay. There's a humanitarian crisis in, in Syria. There is there is lack of basic needs: electricity, fuel, food, and medicine. I don't think um, anybody should be uh, 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 ignoring this uh, this basic human rights uh, issue.
0: Okay, I've been speaking with uh, Lola Al Kasawat, uh, Doctor Atif Kabrusi, and Mr. Mohammed Budianin on the uh, End the Siege uh, event. Happening on Saturday. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. On February 19th at noon, thousands of people collected in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., to pr- protest the U.S. funding the war in Ukraine. The event was called Rage Against the War Machine. It lasted for about three hours and included a diversity of prominent people across the political spectrum, including four presidential candidates and prominent independent media personalities. We are going to play three of the speeches right now. First up is Jimmy Dore. He's a comedian, political commentator, and host of the popular Jimmy Dora show. So, I'm show.
5: reminded when I look out here of my friend Barry Crimmins, who was a hilarious and he was a courageous comedian. He was a staunch critic of the US government and if he was alive, I'm sure he'd be here today. People would always ask him, hey, if you don't like America so much, if you're such a critic, why don't you move to another country? And he said, I would, but then I'd become a victim of our foreign policy. Joke <laughs> so worked twice. He used to say there's a reason why there's no viable third party in America it's because corporations don't want to cut a third check. And that's a shame because the two parties in America that we have just ain't cutting it. They both support sending over a hundred billion dollars to Ukraine. We could have spent that money saving lives with universal health care but instead we spend that money taking lives overseas which is our specialty. We send them what we call foreign aid. Foreign aid, that's money to another country. We drop care packages on their heads from the sky, but it's not full of food. And, it's, and the only money we have left over, we're going to spend shooting down hobby balloons. Can you imagine if the Independence Day was just about balloons? I mean, the movie. Right? The aliens are invading, and man, they are taking their time. At least Macy's figured out how to make a balloon look like somebody. They could attack us with Superman or something. Would Mickey Mouse's adorable ears eavesdropping on our cell phone conversations be so much worse than the NSA? I don't think so. Do you know, we could end this war today through diplomacy, but our politicians want to enrich weapons manufacturers so they keep donating to them to the tune of a hundred billion dollars. Chris Hedges has called America a mafia state. Systems of governance that are seized by a tiny cabal become mafia states. The military industrial complex and Ukraine war represent an orgy of looting and corruption. America is the most powerful mafia that has ever existed, and the hitmen in that mafia have military pilot licenses. The difference, we won't. <laughs> The difference between our government these days and the Mafia in the 1940s? Well, the Mafia in the 1940s helped defeat the Nazis. They used longshoremen and union leaders. It's a sad day when you can't even trust the Mafia anymore. Do you know what America really needs? We need to take the money out of Ukraine and give it to everybody here so we can buy a balloon and a gun. That's the only way we can settle this. We all need to be floating around shooting each other down out of the sky. Better yet, the guns shoot vaccine syringes. Yeah, that's America. Eat boosters, you (laughs) motherfuckers. America is so corrupt, even our our, uh, our peace prize winners are war criminals. Barack Obama won a peace prize and he immediately ramped up the war in Afghanistan, starting bombing Libya, put a hit on Osama bin Laden, dropped 26,000 bombs in Syria. And that's the thing about those peace prizes nobody ever tries to win a second one. I have a list of things we could have bought with that $100 billion instead of spend- sending it to Ukraine for killing people. Instead of sending money to Ukraine, we could get a President Biden a dog that knows where to lead him when a press conference is over. We sent enough money to Ukraine to buy everybody a tank of gas. For all the money we've given to Ukraine, do you know how many eggs we could buy? Almost a dozen. With $100 billion, you know, they can say you can end homelessness for 20 to $40 billion. We could have ended homelessness, then restart homelessness, then say we were only kidding, and then end it again. We, we can't end homelessness in America. We can't even fix the bridges that the homeless people live under. That's how corrupt we are. Every American for $100 billion could have had a home. But it's way more important that we make sure nobody in Ukraine has a home, because now it's going to be turned into a crater. We could give every homeless person in America $160,000. Or, if you want to help Americans, but still show our support for Ukraine, we could buy every homeless person in the United States 7,000 Ukraine flag fleece blankets. We could have used that hundred trillion dollars. A hundred billion dollars would have provided universal health care to all the people in Algeria, Botswana, Morocco, Rwanda, the Philippines, Sri Lanka, Thailand, Romania, Croatia, Mexico, and Peru. Oh wait, those countries already have universal health care. My bad. For the hundred billion dollars, we could buy two FTX collapses. <laughs> For $100 billion, we could buy every person on earth a blue check mark on Twitter because shouldn't we all have an equal opportunity to be insufferable at? Ass- For $100 billion, we could get Chick-fil-A to stay open on Sundays and perform gay weddings. For $100 billion, we could buy an entire separate Russian invasion of Ukraine and have enough left over to pay Hunter Biden's monthly salary for the rest of his life. For $100 billion, we could break the Bank of England three times. We could buy every man, woman, and child in America an opportunity to pick something really nice from the Goop catalog. I know I didn't get that joke either. We, for a hundred billion dollars, we could have the entire cast of Shark Tank dropped into an actual Shark Tank. We could pay for 90 Alex Jones lawsuits. We could buy a shit ton of balloons to spy on China and still have enough money left over for complete regulatory capture. Isn't that special? We could have gotten like five experimental drugs approved. For a hundred billion dollars, we can remake the Marvel Avengers movie with the entire original cast, but as a porno. <laughs> we could do that 90 times over. We could have spent that money on transportation, high-speed rail, but it was more important to fund the people who duct-take somebody to a lamppost with their pants pulled down. We could cure cancer, but Big Pharma wouldn't be happy with that because they prefer six people instead of healthy ones. <laughs> With the money we sent to Ukraine, we can hire an entirely separate new police force to protect us from the current police force. We could have funded everyone having free college instead of buying a Mount Kilimanjaro's worth of blow for Zelensky. Why are we sending that money to Nazis in Ukraine When we could be funding Nazis here in America struggling to buy eggs. Isn't that just like our government to neglect all the Nazis we have here in America? This is really a fight over nuclear war. Just across the road, there's a statue of Albert Einstein. Man, he looks depressed. He once said, if I could do it all over again, I'd be a plumber. You know why he said that? I thought it was because his toilet was always backed up. It was because the military industrial complex used his science to kill people. They took Einstein's discovery and used it to melt the skin of Japanese civilians. Entire cities full of children and animals extinguished in less than a minute. Generations poisoned by radiation. Bombs today are much more powerful than those bombs we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And I know there's some people who wouldn't show up to this peace rally, this anti-war rally, because of some of the speakers they didn't like on this stage. And I get what they're saying. They're saying, hey, I want to help stop a nuclear war, but not with those people. I get it. I'm the same way. My house caught on fire a couple of months ago. And when the firemen showed up, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's your views on social security and medicare i mean i get this is a scary situation my house is on fire but first i need to get your stance on lgbtq and gender affirming surgery i know my house is burning down but are you vaxxed i need to see proof of at least one booster I need to know what your position is on gender affirming surgery. What age should it start and what's your cutoff? And they're standing there looking at me like I'm oh, crazy. I guess you don't get to put out my fire then, and my house is going to burn down. I hope you're happy. So when people give me a litmus test and they ask me what kind of lefty am I, I always say I'm a Sandy Koufax lefty. Okay. When it comes down to survival, which this is, there is no gift basket with a card thanking you for your participation. You don't get everything you attended to like in a hotel, but maybe you do get to survive. And that's the whole point. Save the nitpicking for Whole Foods. The people who won't be attending today had never any intentions of doing so. And if it wasn't one of the speakers, it would have been the weather. It would have been because they had more important things to do than survive. They'll be home watching CNN not cover this all day. The people who don't want to attend this rally because they don't like a speaker reminds me of what W.C. Fields said, that you won't drink water because fish in it. <laughs> you have to work with people you disagree with big time, even sometimes people you hate, because we need each other to survive. reminded of the words of Frederick Douglass who said, I will join with anyone to do good, but with no one to do bad. If Black Panthers can march hand in hand with the KKK down Las Vegas Boulevard to get welfare payments reinstated, we can join hands with the right wing, the libertarians, the left, the socialists, the communists, everybody to stop a nuclear war. And what's happening right here at this rally is what actually scares the hell out of the establishment. Everybody from the left, everybody from the right, everybody from the middle coming together to realize that we have more in common than divides us and we share a common enemy that enemy is the military industrial complex and the oligarchy the same oligarchy that did a controlled demolition of our economy and then they want me to hate my neighbor for the pain i'm feeling because of that because they wouldn't take a vaccine that didn't work the way they said it did in the first place well i'm not gonna hate my neighbor i'm gonna love my neighbor Because my neighbor is suffering under the same oligarchy that I'm suffering under, and he didn't cause it. The oligarchy did, and they don't want us to join together. And I have one message for the right and the left. If everybody on the right could just realize that not everybody on the left likes Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, we just want to end the wars and have health care that doesn't bankrupt us, that would go a long way. And if everybody on the left could just realize that not everyone on the right is a white supremacist Trump or gun nut, they're just... In gun nuts. I love you. Love each other. Come together. I'll see you at the next anti-war rally. Stay together. Next
0: up, we'll hear from Ann Wright. She is a retired United States Army colonel and retired U.S. State Department official. She was one of three State Department officials to publicly resign in direct protest of the 2003 invasion of Iraq. And it's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank
6: you, thank you. And it's so good to see all of you out here. It's time to end these goddamn wars. End the wars. And it's also time to free Julian Assange. Free Julian. And on April 11th, right here in Washington, D.C., is going to be another great, great event to free Julian Sage. So if you live here, be looking out for the announcement of where it's going to be. If you don't live here, we'll get to you somehow. Anyway, um, my name's Ann Wright. I'm a retired Army colonel, 29 years. No, stay right up here. 29 years, Julian would be proud of us, his family's proud of us, to making sure that we remember him as a truth-teller, a truth-teller on all sorts of issues. And one of them was the Iraq War that I resigned over almost 20 years ago next month. I was one of three diplomats that resigned in opposition to the war in Iraq, and if I had another a resignation to give, I'd give it on this one. Everybody ought to resigning on these wars. I mean, it's just to think that that all these nations say it's our national security, therefore we have to invade and kill other people. It's just plain wrong. It's plain wrong, and if you look at other things that are going on, I live in Hawaii, and that's halfway to China, and guess what's going on there? The provocations that the U.S. government is doing on China, we need to be protesting that. Let's prevent that war. We were unable, unable to prevent this war that's going on in Ukraine. So we got a lot of work to do. There are lots of there are lots of countries that are saying, we don't want to have this war going on because we know what can happen. It can be a, a war that starts over the whole world. I mean, the use of nuclear weapons, it's already been talked about. When the elephants are stomping around, it's the little people that get hurt. And it's all us little people all over the world to get hurt unless we can get this thing stopped. So the reason we are here is saying that there need to be negotiations. I mean, there needs to be talk, there needs to be dialogue. It sounds kind of simple. It's kind of like school, isn't it? You know, when the bullies start pestering people, you have to sit them down and let's talk this thing out. So what can you do to do to help this happen? Well, if you're going to be in town on Tuesday, you can join us at the U.S. Congress to go after our Congress people that are just as big of warmongers as every one of these administrations, presidential administrations. It doesn't matter whether it's a Republican or Democrat administration, they're all for war. They're all for the merchants of death that give them money to keep their campaigns going. So if you're in town at 9.30 on Tuesday, join us over at the Rayburn Building. And we will go to the offices of a lot of Congress people. So please join us there. And at the end of this, I will just say, no more war, no more war, no more war, no more war. Thank you very much.
0: Finally, we hear from Tulsi Gabbard, another veteran who was also a member of Congress representing the state of Hawaii from 2013 to 2021 and also ran for the Democratic nomination for president against Joe Biden. Having served in the Iraq war she has since been distinctly anti-war. Here she is. Aloha.
4: Early one morning on a Saturday on a beautiful day like today in January of 2018 over a million people all across the state of Hawaii woke to their cell phones buzzing and ringing radio alerts blaring with a message that read ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii seek immediate shelter this is not a drill I and so many others I happened to be here that morning I started calling my friends and calling my family concerned for them and where they were. But just as you here might imagine, if we all got that alert at this moment, so too did people all across Hawaii start to ask themselves the question, where is their shelter? Where do I go? Where do I take my children to be safe, knowing that there is an inbound missile to Hawaii with a nuclear warhead and we have just minutes to live. We had college students at the University of Hawaii sprinting across campus trying to figure out where they could possibly go to get shelter. A father who lowered his little girl down a manhole thinking that may be the only place she may be safe and telling her goodbye, I might not see you again. I heard after from a father who had one kid in town on the island of Oahu and another child on the other side of the island, and himself in the middle trying to decide which of his children he might spend the last of his minutes with. An impossible decision for any parent to make. Countless others shared their stories of their panic cowering in the bathtub with their kids trying to understand they're telling us to seek immediate shelter. Where do we go and Experiencing that harsh reality That was as true for us there in Hawaii in 2018 as it is for us here today. There is no shelter Our leaders failed us then and they continue to fail us now Those people who work in our nation's capital eagerly continue to escalate tensions, eagerly wage new cold wars, understanding that if there's a nuclear attack, yes, they will be okay in their bunkers where they literally have plans to be able to continue to wage wars from their bunkers without any consideration for the rest of us and the destruction and incineration that their wars will cause. This was ultimately the thing that caused me to run for president in 2020 because I saw where our leaders were taking us. I saw the dangers of where this new Cold War and nuclear arms race would eventually lead. Whether intentional or accidental, there is only one destination for such wars, and that is a nuclear holocaust. I made it clear then that this is a central issue of our time, the most important issue facing us in the 21st century, and that there was a clear choice in that election. We're either going to work towards peace, de-escalate tensions, move away from this new Cold War, or we will continue to race rapidly towards nuclear brink, toward a new Cold War with Russia, a new Cold War with China, and therefore racing towards nuclear war. Now, for those of you who remember that election, this issue was not important to the media. They refused to talk about it. They refused to raise the question, in the debates. There was no other candidate willing to talk about this issue. It was not important to them then, and it's not important to them now. And so here we are, two short years later. What I warned about then is now our reality. This proxy war that we're fighting against Russia right now could turn at any moment into a direct conflict between the United States, NATO, and Russia, a country that has more nuclear weapons than any other in the world. Now anyone with a little bit of common sense knows that a cold war can very quickly turn to a hot war. And that when you're waging a hot war against a nuclear armed country, it's just a matter of time before it leads to the use of nuclear weapons at any moment. And here's the insanity of it all. We have talking heads on TV. We have politicians. We have very powerful people here in the United States and all around the world speaking with a straight face. Well, you know, if we start World War III or when World War III starts, here's how we're going to fight and win that if Putin decides to use tactical nuclear weapons, here's what we're going to do, as though such a war could ever be won. It cannot be won. World War III cannot be won. They're living in this archaic mindset of World War I and World War II and not facing the realities that we have today. There is no way to win a nuclear war there is only one end, and that is a nuclear holocaust. So we're gathered here today because we know that it doesn't have to be this way. We know that there is a better way and that the task before us is urgent and necessary. We have people gathered here from all over the country, people who are gathered here from all ends of the political spectrum, And if we were to have a conversation, my guess is there may be other things we don't agree on, but the truth is that we could disagree about everything else, everything else. But the one thing that we do agree on that brings us together here today is that we value life. We want to live. We want our loved ones to live and thrive. We wanna be able to go out on a day like today and walk in the trees and hear the birds chirping with the sun shining down on our face. We understand that whatever our differences may be, that we must stand together as people who cherish peace, security, and freedom. We must set aside our differences, work together to fire those warmongering politicians from both political parties who serve their masters in the military industrial complex, instead of serving the people, those warmongers who carelessly and thoughtlessly are sending us hurtling towards a nuclear Holocaust that would destroy all life and the world as we know it. The only way we can stop them is when we stand together and lift our voices in unity, telling them no, we will not let you destroy us. We will not let you destroy our loved ones, our communities, our country, here in the United States and around the world. If we stand together on this one issue, we will be able to wrest the power away from those who don't care about us, those who bend the knee to their overlords in the military industrial complex, take back that power and ensure that We take those trillions of dollars, they are feeding into the war machine and instead dedicate those resources towards peace, prosperity, and freedom. We cannot be free and prosperous or safe unless we are at peace. We are the spark that has the power to light that fire to bring about change. So let that spark of love that exists in every single one of our hearts, that aloha, be that inspiration and that fuel that provides us with the courage to fight against these powerful entities, knowing that our cause is just, it is right, and it is necessary. We must work together towards this future in fulfilling and accomplishing this mission of peace. Thank you very much, aloha.
0: Interestingly, the people who spoke in the last half hour were all smeared by people like the media personality Rachel Maddow and Canadian ambassador to the UN Bob Ray. However, there were even larger protests in Berlin, London, and Paris. It seems as if, as time goes by, the protests can only get larger. That's our show. Next week, we will have the legendary journalist Seymour Hirsch on the Global Research News Hour, explaining to us about his latest investigation into the attack on the Nord Stream pipelines, which he says was committed by U.S. forces. Don't miss it. Listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Metis Nation and the heart of the Metis Nation homeland. The show airs on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. Audio clips you heard from the February 19th event are available through the People's Podcast. I've been your host, Michael Welch. Thanks once again for joining us.